Me, my brother, my dad, my uncle, and my two cousins went to a Thursday Night Thunder in Springfield. But Hulk no Hogan way. showed up. It was amazing. But anyway, so me and my brother used to stay up. Like, after my parents would go to bed, we would sneak out of our beds, and then we would practice wrestling moves on, on each other. But, like, seriously, thank God we did not get hurt because, mm-hmm. like, they had this move called the pile driver. Oh, yeah, where and your head like, is between their legs and, and you upside slam, down. And you and, like, multiple times I did that to my brother <laughs> to where, like, his head was hitting the floor yeah and like <laughs> i mean legitimately he could have broken his neck like the crown of your head hits the floor right at the same rate of velocity so you you, you take bodies the person together yeah. and like you get their legs like up above they're vertical like yeah. you're holding their legs up in the air and you drop them <laughs> straight on their head but it was I remember... probably because he was so small that he didn't break his neck <laughs> there wasn't enough force to it maybe yeah maybe and plus at that age your neck is really pliable and yeah. flexible yeah yeah, yeah I mean, it was, it was probably, probably fine yeah. yeah uh that's the age you're supposed to do those things yeah that's yeah. true and so my mom one night i, I i'll never forget it man she heard us and i had my brother in a uh, <laughs> suplex it was called a torture rack which he was up <laughs> oh, above man. my shoulders and we were like in the living room doing this and she it was like midnight and she lost it oh. dude three dogs north is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put internally at your disposal. It's been a few months ago that I was applying for the 30-day retreats, um, spiritual exercises, this summer. And so I had everything in, and but then I had my phone interview with... Um, a lady at IPF who's uh, just a super holy lady. She's a consecrated virgin um, out there, was there at the very beginning of IPF, just has like a heart for seminarians and for priests that they um, fall more in love with God and realize how much he loves them. And so my phone interview was with her. And it was, I had it on, um, I think the Monday before Ash Wednesday. I think was my, or like the Saturday before, sometime right before Ash Wednesday. And I still hadn't really decided like what I was doing for Lent or really thought about it too much. But this phone conversation um, with her was incredible. And it was super, like nothing flashy at all. Um, We just, we said a prayer at the beginning, she prayed. And then she was just asking me about, like, my prayer life this year. Um, I had done IPF last summer, and so she was asking me, like, about that experience. And then she was asking me a little bit more specifically about, like, how the desire arose in me to do the full 30-day exercises. Um, And it was cool. So I just got to share, like, all these graces of how the Lord has been working in my life. And at the end, um, so we talked, like, we talked at that level. We talked practicals for the summer, et cetera. And at the end, she was like, okay, well, you know, you, you have a spot. So if anything comes up, like if you have an anxiety that comes up around it, or if it's, you know, if if you, you know, get something from God that like, he doesn't want you to do this right now, just let us know because we have more guys waiting for spots, but, but you're in, you know, at, at this point. 
and she and she just ended and she was like well thank you very much for your time like it's been an absolute pleasure and and just an honor to be able to hear about like what the lord is doing in your life and so after the conversation man i was just like at peace and it was really really cool um after talking to her so i um had lunch with scott the next day and i was telling him about it and kind of through that conversation and then a couple holy hours like taking it to like how I articulated it was I was not like in no way was I her project okay and like what that means is here I was like I thought this was going to be like an interview to be able to do this these 30-day exercises and um you know, like she's given her life like to this work. She wants seminarians to be holy. She wants them to be in love with God. And, and so I had this kind of notion in my mind that it was going to be like an interview. And that was the best way I could articulate it. It was like, I was not her project. Like we just got to like kind of share in how good God is together on the phone for that 30 minutes and in a very cool way, like how our paths have crossed, like she was able to kind of formally accept me into this, uh, exer- the 30-day exercises. So it just kind of like a desire in me then um, for going into Lent was that I gave up all projects. And so I realized, kind of thinking honestly back a little bit like to my focus days and um, which were very like very fruitful and very blessed and I'm very thankful for him. And even like my time in seminary, it's like, I've always had like these people in my life that I'm working on, like, you know, that I want very much to like grow in their faith, um, like to get to know Jesus or to grow in relationship with him. And it just, I just realized it was like, you know, obviously that's good. Like we, I want to, uh, to evangelize and to like give people the good news and I want to see people grow. But I just realized kind of at a new level that I don't have to do it on my own. And like any notion that like I am going to pull someone along to get to know Jesus better, um, like I don't have to carry that burden. And so just in this, in a pretty simple prayer, like for Lent, I was like, Lord, I'm just going to let you have, I call them projects. Um, And it's like, I'm going to let you have all of them because people are not projects it's like i get to experience like a friendship and a relationship with certain people that you've put in my life and if through your grace like they get to know you better through something i say or do or just our friendship like thank you because that's in a tremendous grace but i can't do this so i'm going to try to give you my nothingness here and let you like transform these relationships and it has been awesome like, it's been so freeing. Um, just, like, I, I can't really, like, put it into words yet about how, how cool it's been. Um, so, anyway, I just wanted to share that. Like, it's been, it, it's kind of an ongoing process and, and everything. But just realizing more and more, it's like, we can't do this on our own. We cannot evangelize on our own. The thought that, like, we have to, like, strategize and make plans make and a meeting let's and, make a really good business plan yeah and like if we do this if we proclaim the gospel this many times to this many people then this many people are going to accept it right. and we'll like reach then this many people 
like that's not how it should be mm-hmm. it's and not how it ever is either it's not it's not how it is and so it, it was just like and again i wouldn't have I, two weeks ago i wouldn't have said that's how it was right but i realized that kind of it and at somewhere in my heart i was carrying these things that i didn't have to carry mm-hmm. and it was just this invitation of god he was like hey i don't you know if you want to give up like chocolate awesome like I'll, I'll absolutely like thank you for that and receive it and blah, blah blah but he's like but here's an invitation that like this is this is what i want you to do for lent to like grow closer to me um so anyway, I don't know if that makes sense. Even, yeah, it totally does, but... because it kind of removes an obstacle between you and the person. Because if you, I mean, what's kind of difficult about making someone your project or, or seeing somebody that you think could really use, you know, an injection of of Christ into their life and attitude and overall outlook um, so they can grow and have a happier life and existence, you see them you see what they lack, you know, you look at that person and you're like, you're not good enough. Um, and you might never say it in those words, but that's what you're thinking by saying like, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to pray, either pray for you or I'm going to reach out to you and you know, try to get together with you and steer conversations in a certain direction and stuff like that. And ultimately give you advice because I know better than you what your life should look like. Right. Um, and maybe that stuff is true. I mean, there's certainly people in your life that you probably do know better than them what they should be doing, you know, if they're making really terrible choices or something. But ultimately, that's not how we want to look at people. That's not how you you want to look at your friends or your acquaintances or whoever are your former, former projects, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to just love them. And that's what God wants to do is just, is just to love them, you know. And that love has an end. It will transform them if it's received. But the first step is like you were talking about a little bit last time or a couple times ago about how Christ has already come. He's already prepared the way. It's not like we are getting in ship shape and going through our mikvah bath. Right. Like the old covenant before we can enter the presence of God. He's already here. He's, he's made his, uh, he, he's made his presence available to anyone. And then reconciliation follows that. Mm-hmm. And that's the way, we Christians engage the world. We don't ask that everybody get in order so that we can evangelize them or, or bring them into communion with God. We bring our communion with God, our relationship with God into every single relationship that we have and, and getting rid of this attitude of like, uh, here's what you're missing. Okay. Yeah. Takes away an obstacle to loving the person just mm-hmm. as a person. And another thing. Conversations are easiest and relationships work out best when you do just have the freedom to just completely love and pour yourself pour yourself into that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when we do when we begin to view people like you're talking about of you know it almost like puts you on edge in the conversation. It make it takes you out of the relationship and actually kind of elevates you in, in your head to guru intellectually. Status. Right? Yep. That like it's exactly the homily from today, the bishop of mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm up here. And I'm going to tell you these things so that you can come up here and join me, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. When really, I mean, look at the scriptures throughout. Christ is engaging people exactly where they are. Well, yeah, God's not standing on top of the mountain, beckoning everyone to make the arduous journey up to him. He's coming down the mountain to drag us up, right. to carry us up. And that's what we do. Those of us who are, you know, are somewhat 
along our path up the mountain, so to speak, because Christ has carried us up. We go back down with him and we carry others up and we're all saved together, you know? And like, it is. like I see plenty of areas for you guys to grow and stop being such chumps. <laughs> but do I bring it up every single podcast? No. Just often, maybe though. every other. It's though. pretty often. But we did want to talk to you about something tonight, Mike. Yeah. So if you could just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we brought you here tonight for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, my name is Dawn Eden. In 2006, I wrote the book on chastity, The Thrill of the Chaste. It helped many people live chastely, but it didn't take into account the fullness of Catholic faith and the life of the sacraments. Now that I'm Catholic, I've rewritten The Thrill of the Chaste in a new Catholic edition. It's about the life of virtue and learning to love others and be really present for them as God loves you and is really present for you. You can find The Thrill of the Chaste Catholic edition on Amazon.com and wherever Catholic books are sold. Um... Well, and and this is probably just more like a human note is uh, when you allow yourself to get into those relationships that are like a little bit stickier, if you will, like mm-hmm. not everything is in order. At least in my experience, those have been like some of the most fun and some of the most um, helpful in terms of my own growth, mm-hmm. uh, where you're kind of led in these places that you're really not used to going uh, because things aren't in order. Like this isn't a guy you you would usually necessarily hang out with. But that's kind of what the gospel Can I tell it does a quick to story us. Yeah, absolutely. About that? No stories. <laughs> have I have I told you the one when I was at CPE, the one sort of quasi funeral I did? I don't think so. Okay. Is I've it, heard it. It's str- it's stupendous though. Okay, so it's good. <laughs> I was working at this hospital in Denver, uh, as a chaplain intern, as you do before you ordained a deacon, and uh there were you know, forty hours a week and on the various floors, different amounts of time and stuff. So at one point, um, I went into this patient's room and usually like people would either check like that they wanted a visit from the chaplain and when they entered in or some family member would do it for them. Those would be the first people you visit. And then after that, you're kind of free to roam about the cabin. You could go as a hospital worker. You didn't have to like pass HIPAA to like visit people. You had, you could just visit anyone and look at their chart and even chart what you talked about and stuff in your visit because you're part of the medical team care or whatever. So I'd go, I went into this one room and this lady laying on her bed and it became pretty clear to me quickly that she'd had a stroke or something like that that had uh, rendered her like unable to talk really. So I'd seen on the form that she requested a chaplain visit or someone had for her. Um, so I just kind of talked to her and said, it's okay, I know you can't talk right now. Um, I'm just the chaplain from the hospital and I wanted to just, uh, say hello and then I'm here for you. And, um, if you don't mind, I'm just going to say a little prayer for you right now. Um, so I prayed for her in very general terms, had no idea what her religion was. So I just talked about God in a general way, blessed her. And, um, then I was saying my goodbyes and as I was leaving, I was kind of like looking at her and walking out the room, maybe like a five, 10 minute visit or whatever. I could see that she wanted to say something to me. Like she was struggling, but her, you know, mouth wasn't obeying her mind. And she could only move like half her body, but she she kind of contorted herself and started to move. And I realized she was clapping for me and like looking at me with these eyes, like her eyes were smiling, but her mouth wasn't. Like she was trying to thank me 
for coming and for praying for her. It was uh, just a, mo- a moving thing to see. Um, and I put it in the chart like she clapped after I prayed. Seemed to enjoy it. You know, in case any other chaplains stop in, just so you know. Um, well, the next day I'm up in the same floor. I'm at the nurse's station. And I can see into the room uh, sort of vaguely, you know. And I could see that, like, doctors were rushing in and nurses were rushing in. And there was family there. And it looked like something bad was happening. And I go in, and she had gone from pretty stable, post-stroke, whatever, recovery. I don't know if she was going to recover, but she wasn't dying. To all of a sudden, now she is. She had aspirated some bad stuff and and was kind of, like, choking and dying. And, and like, this really unpleasant coughing and writhing. And she was sitting up because the bed was all upright and everything. And the family was a wreck. It was all daughters. And I just, it was one of those situations. It's like, okay, Lord, boom, I'm here. I didn't want to be in the room, but I knew I was supposed to. And that's what chaplains do. And that's what Christians do. They go into this, into the hard stuff. And so I was there and didn't really know what to do. And I I offered to pray and they're like, yeah, let's pray. Um, And one of the daughters was freaking out, like yelling in her mom's ear. And you can't die. You can't die no, you can't leave us. And like all this stuff you don't say to someone when they're dying. Oh man. man. Um, and so one of the, one of the daughters was like a little bit more, uh, had a hold of herself and she's like, come on, let's, let's do this prayer. And we all held hands and I said some prayer and I just felt like that didn't do that good. You know, <laughs> it, it didn't seem to help at all. And my words were not coming. <laughs> no clapping, no clapping whatsoever. <laughs> so, but, uh, I just stayed and I asked if they needed coffee or anything like just to try to be a helpful presence. And then, uh, some other people came in and like this woman comes in in like a, a New York Yankee shirt and like short cropped hair and like smoker's voice. And she, she's walking in and, and just as we're starting another prayer and she walks in and I just kind of like reflexively just open up the circle and just sort of like put my arm around her and welcomed her in. And we, we just were praying. And I said something from the Psalms, uh, as a child has rest in its mother's arms, so our, so my soul uh, finds rest in you, my Lord. You know, let us rest and, and have some peace. And and it was coming a little bit more readily, and it kind of blew their socks off, and they were they were just, like, so thankful. And Okay, so fast forward a little bit. I can't remember every all the events that transpired, but I started to slowly realize that these three daughters of this woman were all lesbians. And the woman who had come in, in the Yankee shirt, who I had embraced in the circle, was one of their partners. And all, all of the daughters, and they had one brother who was married and had kids, and he was on a, a like a raft trip with his daughter, so he couldn't be there for this kind of crisis situation because it just happened in like a matter of 48 hours that she went from normal to stroke to dying. Anyways, um, you know, I felt no like judgment whatsoever. I mean, they, they didn't know I was Catholic and I wasn't about to bring it up. You know, there's, you know, I don't think that the gay community has the best opinion of the Catholic church and her teachings and everything. So I wasn't going to go there. It wasn't a teaching moment. It wasn't, wasn't a moment anyway, when you would, you would really defend the Catholic church's teaching on sexuality and, and the meaning of gender and all of that. It was just like the moment called for generosity and love and support. And, they called me in on Monday after she died over the weekend. And uh, they were there and kind of making arrangements and had paged 
the chaplain's office for me. And I met with them and sat in this little waiting room kind of deal. And they were like, so do you, um, do you do like services? I didn't, my first thought was, oh man, (laughs) am I going to have to do this lady's funeral? Like I'm not even a deacon. I don't know what I'm doing. Plus it's, you're just a seminarian at this point. I'm a seminarian. Yeah. These people, I don't think are Catholic. And, uh, I was like, I was picturing in my head, like, can you go to like Lutheran Western Presbyterian Church of Denver to like preside at a liturgy in a non-Catholic church? And, and so in my mind, it was all these reasons why not to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so my response was something like, I'm still in school. <laughs> like, kind of take that for what it is. They're like, oh, it's totally fine. Like, we're not you know, we don't really have a pastor and you've been so good to our family and, and you were here through this whole thing and we'd love for you to just do whatever, you know, some service. And, and they said, we want to do it at her, at her assisted living place where she was living up until the end. Cause those were her friends and, and, you know, just have a small thing with some family and some of the friends from the, from the place. And so then little by little that night I was at my, at the rectory I was staying at and I'm, um, just kind of mulling this over in my brain and praying about it and talking to God. And I'm like, Jesus, this is so you, man, to put me in this situation where I'm totally out of my depth, out of my comfort zone with people who I never would on the street ever like strike up a conversation with or never would run into in the circles I run in. Um, But here I am like this person that's important and an important part of their lives you know, um, just by complete sheer grace. And so I thought I have to do this. And so I asked my boss, I'm like, you know, it's during work time. Um, can I just go do this like in the middle of the day? And she's like, I think that would be great. You know, she was Protestant she's a disciple of Christ, I think pastor, but she was a supervisor for the chaplain program. So I'm like, okay, all right, I'm going to do this. So I like pick some readings and, uh, gave a little homily sort of deal. It was just, there was no body or anything. It was just a memorial kind of thing with her friends. And then all the nephews and nieces and stuff, um, and all the partners and the sisters. And the brother was fine. He was there. And uh, they sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which was supposedly her favorite song. And the whole that was a train wreck because nobody remembered the words. And, <laughs> but the whole thing was very human and nice, you know? And I was glad I was there. I kind of felt, felt a little bit like a dingus. I was like in a plaid shirt and khakis and like, hi, everybody. I'm Connor. I'll be your pastor today. <laughs> pastor Ken is here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Here's Ernie. <laughs> but the funniest thing was they, um, so the sisters who I really bonded with came up and they, and I told them, don't pay me because I'm, I'm on the clock for I wasn't getting paid for the work I was doing as an intern, but I was technically on the clock and this was part of my internship. So I was like, do not pay me. I, you know, uh, but they gave me some gift. They gave me a gift card to somewhere. And I, and they were like, if you ever need a recommendation anywhere, please let us know. Like, are you, are you, so you're studying to be what a, a minister? And I was like, actually I'm studying to be a Catholic priest. And their faces were kind of like, what? What have we done? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they weren't, they weren't like mad about it, but I don't think they saw that coming at yeah, all. Yeah. But then the funny thing was the brother, I talked to him and he, and like before he hadn't heard 
I think this is even before I told them I was in the seminary. Um, he just asks out of the blue. He, we're having a chat at the, the luncheon after. And he's like, so are you um, you're Catholic then? And I was like, yeah, how'd you know? And he's like, me too. Yeah, it was like a furtive little fist bump about, hey, part of the flock. <laughs> it was so, man, the whole situation was just so strange and beautiful at the same time. Um, so that's it. Like these, these relationships that, uh, you know, I'm not going to make you my project. This is just a, this is just an encounter and I'm going to let it be what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to communicate all love and all, you know, the kindness I can muster at you right now because mm-hmm. you're in pain and your mother's dying. And this is like your heart getting ripped out and wherever you've come from or wherever you're going, I'm here right now. You know, and as a Christian, that's what you do. And when the time comes for me to witness to why I'm doing what I'm doing, I will say it's because I'm studying to be a Catholic priest. Yeah. And let that be whatever it is. Oh, man, that's a beautiful story. It's crazy, man. That's yeah. a crazy story. And that's what's cool, like that, that principle that you're talking about of like just loving the person. That's kind of what I've like experienced this in Lent much smaller ways. Like that story is perfect to kind of articulate it at a grander scale. Um, but yeah, like you just get to, and like, I didn't even realize I was doing it so much, but I, I think of like St. Therese and in story of a soul, she says somewhere where she like, I don't, I, w- I wouldn't call it anxiety, but she almost has like an anxiety about, cause she was the novice, um, like master for the Carmelites and so she was very, like, particular with the novices that she was over because she loved them and, like, she wanted them to to be holy and everything. But she said that, you know, if it wasn't someone that, like, she was in charge of, like, that Jesus had given her, then, like, even if it seemed like a fault, she would always give the person the benefit of the doubt, right. like, in that moment. And I've just, like, had that opportunity a few times here, whereas before, like, even like very minor things and before like i wouldn't have even in my mind like things that are minor to the point that like i wouldn't have articulated a critique of the person but like all of a sudden now i kind of have courage i guess to like actually like call to mind in my own head that i did notice that and very conscious to be like, no, I'm going to give the person the like the benefit of the doubt that like they're actually striving after holiness in whatever mm-hmm. way. And it's freeing, man. It's cool because you experience kind of even like that story you're talking about at that memorial service, like how human it was. And mm-hmm. the fact that you enjoyed being there right. doesn't make much sense. It's amazing. Um, it is amazing. But like you, all these little human interactions, like in our brokenness and flawedness, like they can actually bring a lot of joy, you know, right. in, in cool ways. God knows I'm not perfect. There's plenty of things that yeah. somebody could, you know. I didn't want to say it. Get my me. list out. Yeah. Are you ready? Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisque, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent 
of Major League Baseball. Down. <laughs>